This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Folks, please turn with me now to the Word of God. Uh, from September, uh, probably to towards somewhere at the end of the year, we're going to be working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, my plan in my 12 years so far here in Eden Grove has to be preaching uh, the whole Bible from Genesis through to Revelation. And when it comes to the New Testament, we have never been in the book of Acts, never been in 2 Corinthians, uh, and I believe we've never quite got to 1 and 2 Timothy either. So that's why we find ourselves here in this book, uh, not for the preacher's agenda or to tickle the ears of the congregation, but to preach the whole counsel of God. I hope you will be blessed as we read God's word and as we preach through this letter to Corinthians, Second Corinthians, and we read that this morning. If you've got your Bible there, uh, please open it up. Second Corinthians chapter two is where we are, uh, and we're going from verse five down to verse seventeen. The rest of the chapter. Uh, last week uh, we we looked at the first four verses of chapter two and and lots of chapter one as well. So this is where we are today uh, in the next wee bit of chapter two. Open it up. Read along with me if you would. Because this is the word of God. Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his design. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God. We speak in Christ. Amen. And we thank God today for his precious word. I have never had the privilege of walking the streets of the German city of Berlin. Perhaps you have, or perhaps after COVID, it's a place that you plan to go to. 
Well, if we ever have the privilege of walking those streets, then perhaps we will visit the Altez Museum. In that museum, there is a painting. It's called the Severan Tondo. And in that painting is the Roman Emperor Septimius Severus. His wife, Julia Domna, is there. And his two boys, Caracalla and Geta, are all in this painting. However, on that future date, as we're standing in that museum in Berlin, as we gaze upon it, then we will realise that there is something wrong with the painting. One of the children has had his face literally scratched out of the artwork. It looks strange, and it gets even stranger, because at a point in history, scientists tell us that someone had taken cow manure or animal manure and rubbed it all over that scratched out face. You might think to yourself, who could be so spiteful? Who would dare to deface a, a piece of history, a piece of artwork from the ancient world? Well, my friends, it came as a result of something called the Damnatium Memorae. You see, Caracalla, when his father died, wanted nothing to do with his brother. He wanted power for himself. He needed to get rid of any pretenders to the throne. And so Caracalla had Geta killed. And a Damnatio Memorae was announced. What is a Damnatio Memorae? Hard to say, but perhaps not too difficult to figure out. It is the damning of the memory of the individual. And so here is poor Geta, still on that painting in that city of Berlin, up in the wall. And his face has been removed because his memory was damned. He was not to be spoken of. He was to be taken from any pictures or any places that he was remembered. And it was all over for young Geta. Now sadly, today we are falling into those traps once again. We're living in days where there's such a thing as cancel culture. Say the wrong thing. Uh, walk the wrong path, take the wrong turn, and society will move against you and they want everything removed from you. Maybe you lament such a day, it seems that there's nothing new under the sun, as the Bible would tell us. But whether it is an ancient thing or still a modern thing, there is certainly no place for it in the Church of Jesus Christ. You, by this stage, I hope, will understand that what is going on in Corinth isn't all good. If you've ever read Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, it is a letter where he has to correct many of the faults and problems that he has found in Corinth. He has already told us in this letter that he was forced to write a stern letter to the Corinthians to once again try and put them right. In Corinth, there were a group of so-called apostles. They were false apostles. They were critics of Paul. They said that he was a liar. He had promised one thing and done another. They said that he was all big talk in his letters, but when he was there in person, suddenly he was very, very quiet. There was division in Corinth. There were problems in Corinth, and it was quite literally breaking Paul's heart. We will see that in just a wee moment in this letter. But Paul is not a man of malice. Paul is not a man who is prone to gossiping round the countryside to blacken the name of his enemies and to put his own spin on what has been going on. Here Paul deals with a particular individual who has caused him great pain. And what we see from the apostle is that in the church of Jesus Christ, there is no room for a damnatio memorae. No room for someone's memory to be wiped out and his name to shh. 
never ever be mentioned again. Paul says that the one who has caused pain, the one who even in this very day and age seeks to divide the church of Jesus Christ, he is not just causing pain to the individual that he is taken against, but in some measure, verse 5, Paul says, not to put it too severely to all of you. You see, this is the tragedy in our local churches. Whenever brother falls out against brother, sister against sister, whenever there is a campaign of gossip waged against a particular individual, the apostle here reminds us that you're not just attacking the one, but you're attacking the whole. You see, we have not been saved to stand as individuals. We have not been saved to have little independent churches that never have anything to do with anyone else. We have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is no salvation anywhere else. If today you take the title Christian, if today you have a story to tell of your conversion to Jesus, you have trusted him and received him by faith, then the blood that has cleansed you from your sin is the very same blood that has cleansed that individual from theirs. That individual that you despise, that individual that you have gossiped about and slandered, the blood of Christ has paid the price for his bride, the church. Whilst I am a saved man, Jesus didn't die at Calvary just for me. Jesus died there and paid the price for the sins of his people, the bride, the church of Jesus Christ, from Genesis through to Revelation, to this very day, everyone who ever will be saved, their sins have been paid for by Christ at Calvary in that wonderful moment of history 2,000 years ago. Paul says, if anyone has caused pain in the local fellowship, then it hurts everyone. Everyone is wounded. Everyone is hurt in such a moment. Friends, we are not going to tell lies today in our churches. In Northern Ireland, we know what we are like. Church division abounds. There are many times that we have had to listen once again to splits and to rumours of splits. We know that these things are a sad reality in the life of the church. But here, amazingly and perhaps surprisingly, given what we know about the situation in Corinth, Paul offers grace to someone who has caused trouble, but has repented. We talked the last time about church discipline. It's a dirty couple of words, church discipline. Everybody thinks, well, the church should be a place where it's all sweetness and light and happiness. And, and the minute that any elder or any standard is raised, we, we think, oh, it's so anti-Christian. But one of the marks of the true church is that discipline is exercised and church discipline is not a dirty word, but it is something that if we are truly a church, we must take seriously. Here we see church discipline played out and church discipline isn't to embarrass and to rob someone of their assurance and to cast them out with no hope forevermore. Church discipline always has the goal of leading to the restoration and repentance of the brother in question. We see that in this instance. Paul says there is an individual who has caused pain, not just to Paul, but indeed to the whole body. But verse 6, he says, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. 
it would seem that in this instance, the Corinthians have brought discipline to bear in the individual's case. And it seems that this individual has been repentant of his or her sins. And that is key. In the church of Jesus Christ, when discipline is being exercised, it is not a matter of someone sitting there and refusing to repent. It is not a matter of sitting there and, and saying, well, we'll let this individual back into fellowship, even though there's not a bone in their body that is sorry. Discipline should always lead to repentance and restoration. It would appear that after the discipline in this individual's case, it led that individual to repentance. And now here the Apostle Paul calls for not a damnatio memori, but for restoration to the body. He says to them in verse 7, So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort this individual, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. You see here this man called Paul who'd been called all sorts of names, whose motives were called into question. A man called Paul whose travel itinerary was questioned and used as a stick to beat him. He is a liar. His yes is no and his no is yes. Here is this true apostle, full of grace and mercy to someone who has wounded him. The individual has repented. And now Paul says and urges the Corinthians, turn and forgive and comfort this individual. Don't drive him to excessive sorrow. Don't push him out that he may never return, but extend the hand of friendship in the name of Jesus Christ to this individual. The church of Jesus Christ does not do cancel culture, where once you have made a mistake, it doesn't matter how many times you say sorry, but you're never, ever going to get back in. May God forgive us if that has been our approach. And so Paul writes and says, I beg you, verse 8, reaffirm your love for him. I beg you, show this man grace, says Paul. Show this man love and mercy and compassion. He was in the wrong, but he has come to understand that through the discipline of the church. And he has repented and now he should be restored. This runs against often what we do in the church of Jesus Christ today. Quite often, and I am a member of Down Presbytery, what we have seen is that individuals refuse any discipline from any quarter. If there's ever an issue, we don't talk about it, we storm off and we start a fire around the countryside. Or if discipline is exercised, brothers still never seem to forgive each other. They never will speak to each other. They will never come and address the concerns that they have raised. That's how we do it, quite sadly, often in the modern church. And when we fall out, what usually happens is a few weeks later, we hear about another church set up in another town, and many of the one church have gone to start the other. But sadly... Just because we get it wrong, it doesn't change the biblical standard. Paul says in verse 10, Anyone who you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. I forgive this man, I forgive this individual, because I think of the church, I think of the bigger picture, I think of what the reality should be for us. And Paul wants the Corinthians not to question this, not to debate whether it should happen or not, but to do it. He says in verse 9, This is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. So this isn't open for discussion. 
the apostle doesn't write with his Christ-given authority to the church in Corinth and says, look, if you can't find it in your hearts to forgive this individual, it doesn't matter. Do it or don't do it. It's up to you. That's not his message. He says, I write to you in this instance and I want to know you're doing this. I want to know that the repentant individual has been restored. And what is the bigger picture here? Well, of course, the Church of Jesus Christ is the greatest body on this earth. I don't care what other organizations you're part of, but all of them do not come close to the church. The unity of the Church of Jesus Christ is so vitally important. And my friends, today, if you're someone who is causing division in your local church, then I urge you and warn you to be incredibly careful to be quick to repent, to mend your ways because it is not a church that belongs to the minister or the elder or that person that you despise. It is a church that belongs to Jesus. Do not dare to dream about splitting and deliberately dividing the body of Christ. Such sin will not go unpunished. The church is the body of Christ here on earth and we take her unity seriously. But also says Paul in verse 11, we do this so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. We often don't think sometimes that as Christians, our attitudes and our actions can inadvertently be doing the work of the devil in the local fellowship. But how many times have we stood in the car park and we have complained and we have gossiped and we've slandered. How many times have we heard gossip and we've believed it absolutely 100% without question? And we've never gone to the other party to clarify the story. We've never asked ourselves, is this person telling me the truth or are they trying to cause me to come onto their side? We never do it. How many times have we fallen into those traps? see, we too are not ignorant of Satan's designs. We too do not want to be outwitted by the devil. And so we too, when we understand this and we know the unity of the church and we know that she is the precious bride for whom Christ died, we make every, every opportunity, we make every effort to strive for peace and unity in the local fellowship. No more sitting for 10 years, grumpy and annoyed and cross and, and unrepentant and unapologetic. No more of that. No more coming to the Lord's table and, and thinking all is well, despite the fact that we absolutely despise that person over there. No more of that. No more splitting over trivial matters. No more giving off because we don't like the sound of the music. No more whinging because we didn't get our pew. No more criticizing. No more of that spirit that is in Northern Ireland today that is always negative and doom and gloom. No more. We do not want to be outwitted by Satan. We are not ignorant of his designs and therefore if we are currently at war, we repent. If currently we have refused church discipline, then we go and fall upon our knees before our church leaders and ask for forgiveness. No more of the way of Satan, but instead we choose the path of Christ. The apostle here couldn't be any clearer. Certainly there is someone in this fellowship who has caused much pain to Paul and by extension the whole body, but Paul says it's done. It's done. 
discipline has been exercised, the individual is repentant, and now this man should be restored. There is no other way, no damnatium memori, no cancel culture, only the church, only the unity of the body under the headship of Christ. It is remarkable that Paul says this because as we have already heard in these sermons, Paul's motives were often questioned. We heard last week that even his travel plans, his promise to come to see them, and Paul wanted to see them, not once but twice, and instead it doesn't happen. And, and so you can tell the accusations are thrown at him. He's a, he's a liar. You can't believe a word he says. But here we see in verses 12 and 13 the reason for the delay. Paul writes, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. Why was Paul not at Corinth? Why was Paul not able to come to the, the, the great city and to the church that he loved, the twice that he had promised? Well, because the Lord had opened the door for him to preach the gospel in Troas. And we believe that Paul had a harvest there because as verse 13 says, he leaves them and goes on to Macedonia. There's a door open. A door open for Paul to proclaim the gospel. And so Paul, unashamed of the gospel, takes that opportunity and preaches the gospel in Troas. And he has a harvest. And you see, suddenly, when we consider that and when we consider the juxtaposition of these verses, suddenly we realize that our focus has been entirely wrong. You see, when we spend our lives in church fights and division and, and sitting at home angry and bitter and twisted, refusing to forgive, refusing to repent, refusing to restore relationships, when that is how we take things on board, then we forget about the proclamation of the gospel to the lost people all around us. See, I live in Balnehinch. It isn't where I was born and reared. I'm a man of the East, but I was called here 12 years ago and I have come to this town and whether I like it or not, my daughters all like to say, Daddy, we are from Balnehinch. They don't talk like that. They don't sound like middle-aged men like me. But they love this place. This has become their home. And if you said to me, Scott, what is Balnehinch known for? I would tell you, well, well, traffic. Traffic, it's mustard out there. You, to get anywhere takes you ages. Traffic. What else, Scott? Well, we have a ton of charity shops. What else? Well, you know, we have a big B&M and a big Poundland. If you can't get it there, you don't need it. What else? Churches. With lots and lots of churches. We're famous for it. We've even made the newspapers for it. We have split and we have argued and we have fought and we have divided and churches have been planted. Why? I don't know because the gospel has been preached here for years. But we have got churches. Many of them and probably more to come. And I suspect that over the years of fighting and arguing and division. I suspect in our town over the years despite the fact that there is a church in every corner and a hall up every street. I suspect that probably we have done a lousy job at proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to the church in our town, my own church and to other churches, to the church in my town I call us again to repentance and to a refocus to say do you know what? Fighting and arguing over all of this and fighting and arguing over all of that none of it comes close to the necessity of proclaiming the gospel to the lost and the dying in this town of Balnehinch. 
Paul found himself in Troas. He preaches the gospel. There are those who come to saving faith. And what is going on in Corinth? They're saying, ah, you can't trust him. Why is he not here? Why did he send a letter? Why did he send his mates? You see how the devil works? Do you see how his designs are, are worked out in a local church as he manipulates and takes gossip and, and causes it to blossom? Do you see how quickly we lose our focus? Some say, I prefer the organ. Some say, I want a, a more modern style of worship. Some say, I like shorter sermons. Some say, I want longer sermons. Some say that we must do this. Some say we must do that. And in it all, we forget about those who die without Christ. Paul is in Troas. A door has been opened for him to preach the gospel and he does it. Takes flat in Corinth, but he does it. Because there's nothing more important in this world than one standing with Jesus. That is the reality about COVID-19. And some people, and indeed I think myself included, we focus on it, we worry about it, we're concerned about it. And this isn't a call, this isn't me saying it doesn't exist. I'm not one of these conspiracy theorists. We take it seriously, we do everything that we can to prevent that spread, to keep one another safe. But here is the reality, my friends. You may die of COVID-19 or you may die of something else, but ultimately what you die of is your sin. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the antidote to that sin. It is the gospel that was proclaimed in Troas and it is the gospel that takes Paul into Macedonia. See, Paul isn't going away from Corinth to despite those people out there who are calling him names. It's not because he has a hard, unforgiving heart. He's already called to forgive and to restore the repentant individual. Instead, Paul goes to Macedonia because, as we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 9 to 10, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here is a wonderful opportunity for the apostle. Churches would be planted, sinners would be saved, and yet Paul does not go singing joy and praise. Instead, he says in verse 13, My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus in Troas. What is the significance there? He hoped from Titus there would be news of Corinth, news of unity, news of fellowship, news of peace in the church. And so he goes, taking this wonderful opportunity of proclaiming the gospel in Macedonia, but with a heavy heart because he is wondering and concerned about what is going on down the road in Corinth. My brothers and sisters, for those among us who preach the gospel at home and abroad, for those among us who are considering the call to, to Macedonia, the call to the mission field, for those among us who labour in the preaching and teaching and proclamation of the gospel, for the work of the church in this town and in other towns, may it be done by those men and women with clear hearts and minds set at peace, supported by the local church and not hindered by the local church not hindered by news from the church at home that says Vera and Margaret can't agree 
because they've fallen out over the colour of curtains in the minor hall. The gospel is to be proclaimed in Corinth, in Troas, in Macedonia, in our towns and villages around this district. And I promise you for sure, it is a design of the enemy when our churches split and forget about the gospel. I pray today that we would not fall into those traps, that we would not be distracted by the empty allegations that are sometimes thrown at us, that we would do our utmost to maintain the unity of the body. And may we be forever unashamed of the gospel. May we preach it at home and abroad because it is, as we started the service by saying, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul's goal was to preach Christ and him crucified. And even though Paul's spirit was not at rest as he goes to Macedonia, he still is able to say in verse 14, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Amazing, isn't it? Paul is talking about how he was uh, overwhelmed to a point where he despaired of life itself. He writes again here and says, please forgive this individual who has wounded us all. And I, I will now go to Macedonia, but I, I go without good news from Corinth, and so my spirit is not at rest. And yet, because he is confident in Christ, confident in the gospel, confident in the call to go to Macedonia, he says, thanks be to God. It is God that gives the increase. He leads us in Christ in a triumphal procession. My friends, this is a, a very different September than it usually is. We're not planning to get all our youth organisations back. We're not able to get into the schools the way we used to. We're not able to go and take opportunities the way we once could. But may we never doubt that a church proclaiming the good news where the Holy Spirit is at work. This is a, a triumphal procession. And the church may look weak and divided and insignificant and rubbish, but in Christ we walk in a triumphal procession. The gates of hell cannot stand against the church of Jesus Christ. Do you believe it out there in Facebook land, in Vimeo land, wherever land? Do you believe it? I hope you do. I hope that even with the dark clouds of COVID hanging over our heads, we have not lost the confidence in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, as Paul says at the end of verse 14, through us, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Through us, says the apostle. What a privilege it is to, to preach the gospel, to spread it in our towns and villages. What a privilege it is to be someone who gets an opportunity to share the gospel, to, to say to someone that, that Christ died for the ungodly, that Christ was made to be sin. He knew no sin so that by his death, you and I through faith in Christ could become the righteousness of God. What a privilege it is to say that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Here is the good news. Here is the gospel. And this is like a fragrance abounding through the streets and time and villages of this land as we stand and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Paul writes that here is this fragrance abounding. He says we are the aroma of Christ, verse 15. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are being perishing. And you see this is the, the, the dual work of the gospel. To those who receive it by faith, they joyously receive Christ. They are born again, they are saved and they move from death into life. But also the gospel is God's wrath upon those who are perishing. There are those who hear it week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and reject it. Those who hear it constantly, and, and, and wives pray for the salvation of their husbands, and mothers give out gospel literature to children who have wanted nothing to do with Christ since they left the BB or GB. And to many who have rejected the gospel time and time and time again, the preaching of it, it's like death to death, as Paul says in verse 16. But to those who receive it is a fragrance from life to life. Here is the work of the gospel. Here is the reality of what is happening as that gospel is being preached. My friends, often we forget the gospel. We are consumed by meetings, consumed by entertainment consumed by many things which will have no eternal significance and yet here Paul writes and says a door was open for me in Troas and I got to go as well to Macedonia and I went there not on my holidays but to preach Christ and him crucified and Paul was no man who looked great an ancient source tells us that Paul apparently was a man of middling size. His hair was scanty. His legs were a little crooked and his knees were far apart. He had large eyes and his eyebrows met and his nose was somewhat long. Paul didn't look amazing. He wasn't like those False teachers, the Mormons, who every one of them looks like they could model clothes for a local fashion shop. Paul didn't look the part. And apparently he didn't always sound the part. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10, we read a criticism of Paul where Paul says, Here's what they say about me. His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. And his speech of no account. It would seem that the apostle probably wouldn't be winning any prizes for preaching. It would seem that probably the apostle wouldn't be coming up your driveway and you would be delighted because here's a preacher who's coming to marry your daughter and he looks the part. He certainly does not. And yet Paul goes to Macedonia in triumphal procession. He goes and much weakness and we will discover later in this letter that Paul was a man who knew physical weakness. He goes with the worries from Corinth blighting him and causing him to be not at peace but to be uh, someone who was troubled by news that did not come from a place that he loved. And yet he goes to proclaim Christ and him crucified. 
the fragrance of the Lord, which in our decaying land, our decaying towns and villages, the fragrance of the Lord that is either from life to life or death to death, that is good news to those who are being saved, but it is a, a message of condemnation and wrath to those who refuse to believe it. Here is this man in weakness proclaiming the gospel and it leaves him to declare at the end of verse 16, who is sufficient for these things. Who is sufficient for this goal and this job of proclaiming this mighty gospel which is life or it is death. It must be believed or it leads to eternal damnation. Who is sufficient? Paul knew the reality of that question. He was going to be able to do it. Even in great weakness. Because he was a man that stood in Christ. Commissioned by Christ, sent out by Christ, equipped and strengthened by Christ. He says as this uh, chapter ends, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Paul is not a man coming to your town to preach, to, to fill the coffers and then go on somewhere else. He's not someone who's coming to manipulate the situation and, and build a reputation for himself. Instead, he's a man of sincerity. Commissioned by God, and it is in the sight of God, says Paul, that we speak in Christ. My friends, I pray today that as we consider these things, that the Spirit would be much at work. May he forgive us for the times that we have made the church and we have made our Christian walk all about us, about me, about me being at the centre of the world. And if I'm not happy in the church, then I will wreck the church. If I'm not happy in the church, then I will destroy it. If I'm not happy, then I will gossip about it. May we repent and be restored to fellowship. And may we return to the goal that is set before us. And that is to preach Christ in this world. To make him known. Because if COVID shows people anything, it shows them that they need Jesus. That all is not well in this broken and decaying and stinking rotten world. And yet we stand and we point to Jesus and we are like a fragrance wafting around this city and land and towns and villages. A fragrance that says Christ is king. Christ is the saviour of the lost. Christ is the one who brings answers and significance and meaning in this dying world even in the midst of pandemic. It is Jesus. May we remember this. May we remember that even in weakness, even in much weakness, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation of all who will believe. My friends, I don't know who watches these videos. I don't count the numbers. I don't go into Facebook analytics to figure out who's watching and how long they're listening for. But by the grace of God, this sermon, this video will fall into the ears of someone who has rejected Christ. Someone who thinks the good news that Christ died for sinners at Calvary's cross. And rose again on the third day. Someone who thinks that this good news is rubbish and not worth believing. Someone who has heard it 
time and time again. It's been drummed into them since they were wee lads or wee girls, but they have refused to believe it. By the grace of God, this sermon will come to your ears today. And you will hear me, a man who has often got things wrong, a man who has often forgotten the call to preach the gospel. You will hear me today. And you will hear me calling you to believe. Christ Jesus today extends a hand of friendship to you, a sinner. And because of his substitutionary sacrifice at Calvary, nailing sin to a cross, because of his rising again from the dead, because of his free offer of salvation, then you can and you must be born again. And if you are to receive this message, then you must repent of your sins. You must know how filthy they are before a holy God. You must run from them, seeking forgiveness from the Lord and putting your faith in Christ. The gospel and the response, repentance and faith, looking on to Jesus and my friend, you will be saved. There's the gospel. And that is why for the church of Jesus Christ, often divided, often following the foolish path, often falling into the traps laid for us by Satan and often not even needing Satan's help by our own sin and our own stupidity, we are the ones that divide the fellowships. But church of Jesus Christ, may we once again with confidence looking onto Jesus today, may we once again have as our statement, we preach Christ and him crucified.